friends, I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. In just a few moments, we're going to dive into this teaching we've been going through about why we call Jesus Lord. Uh, we're, this is sort of our Christmas series. We're leading us into Christmas. And by the way, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I hope that this season is a blessing to you and that God just reaches out to you, draws you in, and helps you feel good about knowing him as your Lord. In just a few moments, we're going to have a teaching where we're going to talk about this uh, astounding family reunion, and it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we do anything, though, I'd like to encourage you, make sure that you're doing all the social media stuff, all the stuff to help this channel and this, uh, this ministry grow. Make sure that you're hitting the like, the subscribe, the sub notification bells. Make sure afterwards you're leaving, uh, you're leaving uh, reviews, maybe a five-star review, you know, the best review you can, uh, so that you can help this, this ministry grow, so that you can help these messages go out and bless other people and be sure if something that is said in this series if something that's said in this message today is a blessing to you be sure that you share it with somebody that you think it would be a blessing to as well and that way you can help us be a blessing to the people that you love the people that you know in your life so just share these messages share this message maybe send it as a private share maybe post it to your page where, where wherever you are wherever you're watching it on if this can be a, a tool for you to share your faith in Christ, to share a message about Christ with someone else, and, and it can be a blessing. So be sure to be doing all that stuff. Well, I want to dive in and pray today. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you during this Christmas season. I want to pray for you as we dive into this message about this astounding reunion that, that hopefully will be a message that helps you once again be astounded in the presence of God, be astounded in the presence of Jesus, once again helps you renew joy and renew your love for God. And uh, I just want to pray that this will be a, a message that blesses you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come together and honor you and worship you together in getting into your word. God, I pray that you will use the message that we have here today, that you would use your scriptures, that you would use uh, the, the message from the Spirit of God that, that we're going to share today, that this would be a message that would draw us closer to you, that would draw us to a place where we want to worship you, where we want to praise you, God, I pray that maybe this will be a message that will help renew someone's joy, renew someone's love for Christ. And I pray, God, that you would just speak to each one in a special way, that you would meet, meet each person who's here in a special way, whether they're joining us on audio only or whether they're joining us on the YouTube channel or the Facebook. God, I pray that there would be a meeting between you and them, that there would be an experience of God today in this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, once again, thank you for joining me, and let's dive in to this message where we're going to be talking about a family reunion. Now, I don't know how you feel about the idea of family reunion. I mean, that those two words can stir up all kinds of thoughts. They can stir up all kinds of emotions. They can stir up memories. Uh, maybe you have a family that has family reunions regularly. Uh, I live really far away from my family. Most of my family lives on the East Coast, and I'm just about as far as you can get over on the West Coast. And uh, it's hard to to regularly get together because we live so far apart. And so uh, we have a big family. It's expensive to travel back and forth. And so we don't do much in terms of family reunions. And I have a huge family back east. And, and the family does get together and do things together. And, and, and you know, sometimes a family reunion, well, it can be a, a tough thing. I remember when I was younger, 
Uh, when our families used to get together, whether it was uh, at a park and everybody's getting together or at grandma or grandpa's house or great grandma, great grandpa's house before they passed away. Uh, our families used to do a lot together. And, and I remember uh, having uh, thoughts uh, that every time I was going to get together with certain family, I knew it was going to be a painful experience. And what I mean by that is this. I had uncles that uh, would love to just, they would pay the back of your arm so bad it would leave a, a bruise for a week or two and man they just knew how to make them things hurt and they thought it was funny and they thought it was fun and they loved to pinch you and and I laughed it off and thought it was funny and fun too and I loved my uncles but man that, I just knew it was going to be a painful experience I had another uncle that that he used to love to give you Charlie horses you know he'd hit you right on the uh, muscle in a way that it just hurt and stung and man he, he, some Sometimes it felt like it would be hard to walk on for a day or so. And I had a, my, one of my grandpas, he used to love to play a game where, where both of you grabbed one another's thumbs and you squeezed the, the, the thumbnail as hard as you could. And, and man, you knew that was going to be a painful experience. And everybody's just teasing, everybody's just playing games. But uh, you knew that a family reunion, a family get-together was going to hurt sometimes. And, and then later on, as you grew up, you found out that family reunions can hurt in different ways. You know, there's all kinds of uh, relational struggles and all kinds of other things that can create pain or hurt in a family reunion. Um, not just uh, funny teasing times, but on the other side, sometimes family reunions can be exciting. They can be great things. I, I had times where we got together with aunts and uncles, and, and I knew my cousins were going to be there, and I had a lot of cousins, and I had cousins that were about my age, just a year or two ahead or behind, and, and we loved to do things together. We'd go out and make forts. We'd go out and shoot BB guns. Sometimes we'd shoot real guns, and, and, and we'd go out and play out, outside together. We'd, we'd do all kinds of stuff, build big bonfires, and, and and had a good time together. So I always loved getting together with my, my cousins especially. And I, I knew that it was going to be an exciting reunion. Sometimes, uh, almost every time we got together with uh, family, there were games to be played. Sometimes, uh, uh, it, or long, long ago, when my uncles were a little younger, there was well, they would play full contact football and, and all the guys would get out there and they'd be banging each other up and playing football and, and being rough with each other and, and uh, having a good time. And, and then later on, it, it turned into board games and everybody liked to play board games. But almost always, ever since I was a real little kid, there was this card game called Euchre. And if you don't know what Euchre is, it, it's a game that almost every kid in Rochester, New York grew up up playing all the time because you get together with a family for dinner you were probably playing euchre afterwards you get together with a bunch of family everybody's probably going to be playing euchre together and and even today my parents still play euchre with their brothers and sisters and uh, and, and 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 even on thanksgiving i i was playing euchre with my wife and and kids and and so we, we would get excited to get together and have a good time. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a reunion that was exciting. It was a reunion that would almost go beyond exciting, and, and we could use the word astounding. This would be the reunion between Mary and Elizabeth. We're going to find this in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 1. If you remember the story, Elizabeth was very old, and, and she was was the wife to this very old priest named uh, Zechariah. And the angel Gabriel came to them and said, well, came to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a baby. You've been praying for the, a baby all along. You haven't been able to have kids. And God is miraculously going to give you a baby. And he's going to be a son. And uh, he's going to be the one who goes ahead of the Messiah and announces to the world the Savior that God is sending. And, 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 and then we saw last week that the same angel came to Mary and and told Mary to expect that even though she was a virgin that she was going to have a son that she was going to be pregnant and that the Holy Spirit was going to give her a son who would who would be called Jesus and he would be the one who was going to come and and save all people 
from their sins. Now, he would be the Savior. And Mary would hear this, and Mary would ask, well, how do I know this is going to happen? She would ask, well, how, how is this going to happen? Now, she believed what Gabriel was saying, but she was kind of asking, like, how's all this going to work? And, and the angel Gabriel described it, and he explained it, and he said to Mary, listen, with, with God, anything is possible, because God can do anything he wants. And, and even now, your relative, Elizabeth, is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and she's going to have a child. And, and, and he sort of told Mary about what was happening with Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah haven't been able to tell anybody. They weren't allowed to tell anybody because Zechariah doubted what Gabriel had told him. Gabriel said, hey, you're going to be mute and, and you're not going to be able to tell anybody about what's going on. But the Gabriel, the angel Gabriel told Mary, and so Mary decides that she's going to make a trip. She's going to travel uh, really far to go to the house of her relative Elizabeth. And, and they're going to have a little reunion, a little get-together. Now, we don't know exactly the town that Elizabeth lived in. We're told the region, and we know that Mary lived in uh, in Nazareth, and, and that she had to travel probably miles and miles and miles, and at least traveling by the way they traveled, at least for a couple days to get to where Elizabeth was. And we can almost see as Luke the historian, the author of the book of Luke, is researching for this. We could see him talking with an older Mary about her experience traveling and, and, and meeting with Elizabeth. And we could see Luke meeting with Elizabeth and talking to her about her experience as Elizabeth reminisces. And she thinks about how well, you know, she was getting, she was getting the room ready for the baby. She was getting the crib ready for the baby. She was in her sixth month of pregnancy and she's just just praising God and glorifying God that God has answered her prayers and was going to give her a child. And then Mary shows up for this astounding reunion. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45, it says this, and Mary uh, is going to visit Elizabeth. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And here we have this reunion. It may look a little different than all the family reunions you've had. I mean, this is, this is two women and two unborn babies all interacting with each other. And, and maybe you had a Thanksgiving dinner that looked kind of like this. I Maybe this is a picture that, that better fits your family reunions, one with all the chaos and craziness. You know, I have a picture here of uh, just a, just kind of a goofy cartoon picture of a bunch of family uh, members together for Thanksgiving, you know. And uh, maybe that's your family reunions, but this family reunion, it's a little chaotic. It's a little exciting. It's a little astounding. There are some amazing things happening here. And I just want to dive in and look at this astounding reunion. Now, we're four weeks into this series where we're talking about why we call Jesus Lord. And we're thinking towards the Christmas season where we're thinking about, we call this baby that was born, that's God. We call him Lord. Uh, we call God uh, this baby who was born. We, we call, I mean, 
it almost is mind-blowing. It's almost astounding in and of itself that God would do such an amazing thing that he comes into the world through a young girl. He's born. The God of the universe who created mankind is born, and we call him Lord, and we call him God. And what my goal is with this series as we've been going through this story, uh, especially the way that Luke writes it for us, my goal is that we would go away feeling good about calling Jesus Lord, and we'd feel good about calling him our Lord as we see the story unfold, as Luke shares it with us. And what I want to do is take a look at this part of the story and talk about this astounding reunion because there's some astounding things that we see about Jesus in this passage. And, uh, And the first thing that we see here that I want to share with you is we see that there's an astounding presence of the Lord Jesus. There's this astounding presence that we see here. These events, they will confirm for Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah what the angel Gabriel has declared to them about their children. Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to have a son who was going to fulfill prophecy. He would be the one who would be the prophet like a prophet like the prophet Elijah, and he was going to announce the coming of the one who they would call Lord, who they would call the Savior, the Messiah. And Mary was told she was going to have a son that was the Lord, that was the Savior, and that they would name him Jesus. And now as this reunion happens, Mary's made this long trip to see Elizabeth. She walks in the door, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She begins to prophesy, and she and her son filled with the Spirit, declare that Jesus is Lord. And so everybody was having their their, uh, their their messages from this angel confirmed in this moment. And the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in this whole scenario. The Spirit will be at work in these women. The Spirit will be at work in these unborn babies. The angel Gabriel told Mary that the baby that she was conceiving would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we see Elizabeth, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and her her baby within her by the Holy Spirit leaps. And God's people, God's people are filled with God's Spirit. And they're led to praise and to worship and gladness. And these women, they come together. They're coming together to encourage one another. And both of them are drawn to gladness in the presence of Jesus. And there are a lot of things in this world that can drag our hearts down. There are a lot of things in this world that, uh, well, they can destroy our joy. They can destroy our gladness. They can destroy our desire to sing and praise and worship. I, I don't know if you've ever had times like that where, where you just felt like your spirit was downcast and, and you didn't even feel in the mood to sing or to worship. And, and, and you know, there are a lot of things in this world that can turn our joy into gloom our gladness into gloom. And and there were a lot of things going on in the lives of Mary and Elizabeth and a lot of things that were to come that, that could have turned their hearts downcast. I mean, they didn't know a lot about what was coming next. But man, talk about some hardship. You know, Elizabeth probably lived to see her son imprisoned and beheaded. And uh, Mary lived to see her son crucified on a cross. And, and, and both of them lived in a culture and a time that had rejected God. And they will watch as the world rejects the, the message of John the Baptist and the message of Jesus. And yet they'll watch and they'll see people respond with faith and repent and there will be good that they will see. But man, there were a lot of things that could have gotten their hearts downcast. And if they watched the news of their day regularly and all the headlines, uh, the headlines about their, their supposed king who called himself king and yet he was subject to the emperor Herod the Great and, and the headlines about him murdering his kids and him murdering his wife and him being a corrupt tyrant ruler 
culture and, and, and how the Pharisees were corrupt and the Sadducees were corrupt and the Sanhedrin was corrupt and how there was religious and political and, and leadership corruption. They could have been really downcast if they got their, their hearts fixated on those things. And, and if they paid attention to what the, the corrupt and evil and wicked emperor who called himself a god w was doing, I mean, they could have really gotten all twisted up inside if they looked at all the news and all the hardship and all the hurts around them. Maybe if they focused on their own situations. I mean, now Elizabeth in her old age was having a kid and starting over, uh, in, in at least in, in terms of raising a child. And now Mary in her teenage years was an unwed pregnant mother. And so she had her own troubles that she had uh, to deal with and her own situation. And who's going to really believe in her circles, you know, of friends and family that, oh, God did it. Sure. Yeah, I believe that, you know, and and she had all kinds of things that she could have focused on to get downcast for but the two of them come together and they're together in the presence of Jesus and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is leading them and guiding them to a place of praise a place of gladness and a praise place of joy because their focus isn't on all the hurts and hardships and pains and suffering and struggles of the world their focus is on Jesus. And I want to encourage you as we begin here that maybe you're in a place where you've been struggling to, to have joy. Uh, you've been struggling to uh, know the joy of the Lord. And it says in scripture that the joy of the Lord will be my strength. And maybe you feel like your joy is dead or gone. And, and, and maybe you feel like your love for God is waning and, and sometimes maybe even dead. And you feel like you don't know if you love God and you don't know if God loves you. And, and you wonder, how do I resurrect dead joy? And how do I resurrect a, a, a dying love? Well, let me encourage you. Uh, you can resurrect it just by inviting the Spirit to help you focus on Jesus. You can resurrect it by inviting the Holy Spirit to lead you to a place and to renew your gladness and, and to help you see the presence of Jesus in your life because you have the presence of the one who is the Lord who's with you. In Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2, the Apostle Paul tells us, uh, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And, and maybe that you've lost your joy and you've lost your love because you've been going ahead and holding on to all the things that weigh you down and and that 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 drag you down and drag you away and maybe it's time to go ahead and and strip those things off and here's how you do that you keep your eye on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame and now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne and in other words, Jesus considered joy uh, when he thought about the cross. He, he was able to disregard the shame, disregard the pain, disregard all the things about it. And, and you know what gave him joy? The thought of you, the thought of being present with you, the being in your life. And, and he wants you to know the joy of his presence. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you just need to be, you just need to be resurrected. You need the presence of Jesus to help renew your joy. And I would encourage you as we begin here to let the Holy Spirit bring you to a place of joy, to invite the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of joy, to ask him to guide you and, and lead you to a place of joy. In Psalm 95, 6, it says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God and Maker. And that's where Mary was, and that's where Elizabeth was. Elizabeth comes in, and she's just crying out with joy and gladness, and she wants to praise God and worship God. And, and, and I want to encourage you, if your praise and worship are dead, invite the Spirit to help you renew and to help you come alive in worship and praise, in gladness and joy and love for Christ and love because of the presence 
of Christ. You see, there's an astounding presence here in this passage. There's also an astounding prophecy about Jesus the Lord. Elizabeth begins to prophesy. She's filled with the Spirit, and she's beginning to, to speak by the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is a big part of the story of the birth of Christ that we often don't talk about, we often don't think about, but he's all over this passage. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is the person of God. He's the Spirit of God himself, and the Holy Spirit is at work here, and, and he fills Elizabeth, and through her, he prophesies. Now, sometimes prophecy in Scripture is predictive in nature. The Bible will be filled with lots and lots of predictions, some that, uh, some that were predicted and came true exactly the way they were predicted, some that were predicted and still have yet to come true, and God has promised that they will come true. But the Bible's filled with predictive prophecy, and yet predictive prophecy isn't the only kind of prophecy. Predictive prophecy would include things like the prophecy about the circumstances of Jesus' birth, the coming of John the Baptist. Predictive prophecy would be the prophecy that Gabriel gave Zechariah and Elizabeth that they would become pregnant. And then they go, they go home, and even though they had been barren for years and years and years of marriage, uh, they become pregnant in their old age. And they're going to have this child who's going to be a son and named John. And predictive prophecy would be when Gabriel says that, uh, that Mary is going to have a baby even though she's a virgin and she becomes pregnant. And even better yet, we go back years, hundreds of years to the prophet Isaiah, who declared that the, uh, that the virgin will be with child and they will call the son Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's all predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy would tell us what would happen to Jesus during his ministry, what, what his ministry would be like, what would happen to him when he's crucified and killed, and, and even specifics about like what would happen to his clothes and what, his, what, his, uh, what the people that killed him would do. They would cast lots for his clothes, and, and what would happen to his bones when he died, and what would happen to his heart when he died, and, and that he would be pierced for our transgressions. And, and all kinds of predictive prophecy would talk about things that were outside of Jesus' control and yet happened to him. At least they were outside of his control if he wasn't God. But because he was God, he was able to say, this is what's going to happen because he knew what was going to happen. And yet not all prophecy is predictive prophecy because often prophecy would take on another role. Often prophecy, you could think of it as scripture before scripture was written. It would be scripture spoken before scripture was written. God would have a message for people. That message would be a message of repentance, that they need to repent and change and, and turn to him. It would be a message of encouragement, a message of blessing and hope and promise. And it would be a message of forgiveness, a message of, of challenge, a message. It could be a message of any kind, but it would be a message either to a specific person or to a people. And and God would use prophets to share his message before it was written down. And, and you could all actually even just think of it as just a word from the Lord, spoken scripture, a spoken Bible. And that's what often prophets would do. And here, this, uh, this time, the Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit through her prophesies and says that, What's happening here is happening, and, and it's from God. The passage tells us she was filled with the Spirit, and, and, uh, and, and she's going to share that this Son is the Lord. And for the first time, a person, through their lips, is going to declare that Jesus is Lord, even before he's born, even when he's actually just recently conceived because this was only a few days after uh, a few days to a handful of days after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to conceive and give birth to a child and so Mary had just conceived literally and Elizabeth says she's has uh, she's with child and that she has the Lord in her womb what an amazing thought what an amazing uh, interesting thing that she said 
says here. And, and throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit will be at work in special ways. The passage here tells us that she was filled with the Spirit, and, and sometimes the Spirit would work in a way that he would fill someone up. He would take them over and speak through them in a special way. And, and other times we're told that the Holy Spirit is more of a helper, more of a guide. Uh, he won't take away our free will, but he will, uh, he will guide us as we will him to. He will, he will lead us as we allow him to, and he will, he will uh, direct us as we let him guide us. But the question might be, well, how do I know he's leading and he's guiding and, and he's speaking? Well, she will exclaim that Mary's blessed and that God has given her a son and, and her son is blessed. And she will exclaim that Jesus is my Lord, and, and she will declare some things, and we would question, how do we know what she was saying was really from God? Well, as Christians, God promises that he will speak through the Spirit and lead by the Spirit and guide by the Spirit, but he will always do it in a way that we know is true, in a way that we can know whether this is indeed his Spirit or not. You know, as Christians, God promises us to give us the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that God promises to come and live within our bodies, within our lives, and, and he promises to be at work in us. And, and sometimes when he's at work in us, he will speak to us through the scriptures that we read or the scriptures that we know or the scriptures that we've memorized. Sometimes he will speak to us through our conscience. And, and husbands, sometimes he'll speak to you through your wife and, and, and dad sometimes it will be through your kids and moms sometimes it will be through your uh, husband or your kids and, and and God will speak to us through his spirit and and he will guide us sometimes through his word and and through the leading and, and teaching and guidance of of mentors and preachers and teachers and church leaders and and God will speak through his spirit in many ways but here's uh, here's one way we can know when God is speaking and when he's not through his spirit and it's this that whenever he speaks the Holy Spirit is going to speak truth He'll never lie. He'll never make a mistake. He'll never, he'll never go back on what he said before. You know, I run into this all the time. Sometimes people will say, well, God is leading me and God is, is guiding me and, and I'm going this way because that's what God wants. And then you talk to them the next day and, and all of a sudden God changed their mind and, uh, and, and God didn't want that for them after all because it got hard or tough or difficult or uncomfortable or whatever the reason is. And it's almost like God doesn't really know what he's doing. Well, God will never go back on his word. If God is leading or speaking, he's always going to lead and speak by the truth. It will always come true. Whatever he predicts will happen. Whatever he predicts will come true. Whatever he says will be truth and and there will be no error, no lie, no mistake in it. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, it will say this, it will say if a prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction doesn't happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. And so if someone says this is what God is saying, and yet there's some question about its truth, then you could probably say, well, I don't know if God is really saying that. And one of the ways that you can know whether whether or not it's true is is whether or not it well whether or not it's in alignment with biblical truth or scriptural truth. Uh, the Holy Spirit will always speak with scriptural truth. The Holy Spirit's never going to contradict what he's already said in scripture. Throughout scripture, we're told that the Spirit is the one who has guided the authors of the Bible and of the scriptures, that the Spirit is the author of the scriptures. And, and when the Spirit speaks to you and he speaks to me, he's not going to speak in a way that's going to go against 
just his word. We're told in the scriptures that his word is eternal, that his word is unfailing, that his word has no level of error or mistake, that that all of his word will be fulfilled and will come true, and all of his word is true forever into all eternity. And so the Spirit will never contradict himself when he's speaking to you and me. He, He will always speak where the scriptures speak because the Bible is his word. Sometimes you'll have your own thoughts and you'll ask, well, is this the Spirit speaking to me? And if you just test them with Scripture, well, what does Scripture say about what I'm thinking or wanting to do? Sometimes someone else will share you uh, share a message with you, and they'll say, "This is the truth you need to hear." And you listen to that truth, and you can you, you can lay it beside the Bible and say, "Well, is that truth in the Bible? Is it really true?" And and sometimes uh, you will read something or you'll hear something that sounds like it could be spiritual truth and it's important that we test it with scripture it's important that we consider whether or not this really is from the spirit or whether or not this really is biblical does the bible teach what i'm hearing or does it teach against what i'm hearing in first john 4 1 the, the Apostle John tells us that we should test the spirits that we hear and, and that we should question whether or not what we're hearing really is from God. We, we don't just take a pastor's word for it, a preacher's word for it. We, we don't take a, a professor's word for it. We, we don't take anybody's word for it. We test it up against the, the truth of Scripture. And so uh, he says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. There are a lot of people who are who are proclaiming what they think is moral truth and spiritual truth. Man, we live in a world right now, we'll talk a little bit later about it, that is, is teaching moral and spiritual truth that is completely opposite of what well, natural reality and the message of God says. And so we would test the spirits and we would say, is this really uh, from God or are these false prophets teaching a false message that's not true? Uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we see that uh, <clears throat> that these people called the Bereans were well, they were encouraged and they were uplifted and they were called noble because they questioned everything they were hearing, even from their preacher and church planner. Uh, the Apostle Paul and his and his co-teacher Silas were teaching these people and it says that they went to the scriptures to test everything he was saying. Uh, it says this, and the people of Berea searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And so uh, here you can even get permission. Question me, you know, test what you hear me saying from the scriptures. I'm a person, I'm a man, I'm going to make mistakes. But hopefully as I preach and teach the word of God, I let it speak and uh, we will find that uh, you can test what's being said by the scriptures because that's where you're going to find real truth and biblical truth here that Elizabeth prophesies that Elizabeth shares for the first time ever she announces that Jesus is Lord and Jesus will hold up to the test of truth and and to the test of scriptures Jesus perfectly fulfills all the prophecies that were about him and he fulfills the scriptures that spoke about him where the Holy Spirit had already written about him and he will he will to a T he will fit the bill that the Holy Spirit prepared prepared people for. And Jesus would prove by his ability to do miracles, to cast out demons, to forgive sin. He will prove and demonstrate that he's the author of life by dying on a cross and then raising himself from the dead. He would show that he was the the author of life who couldn't be held down by death. Now, Jesus would show that what Elizabeth says is true. In Luke 1, 41, 
We're told Elizabeth, when she spoke, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and in, in the next two verses, it says, Elizabeth exclaimed, God has blessed you above all women. You and your child are blessed. And I'm so honored to, that the mother of my Lord should visit me. So there's this uh, astounding prophecy here. And even before his birth, Jesus is declared to be Lord. You think it's strange to call a baby who's born Lord. Imagine Elizabeth declaring a baby who was just conceived days ago to be Lord. Yet he's Lord. Elizabeth hasn't seen Jesus yet. She hasn't uh, seen the miracles around his birth yet. She hasn't heard about his uh, life and teaching yet. She hasn't, she doesn't know anything else about him yet other than Mary has conceived him. That's all she knows. And yet the spirit is leading her to a place to worship him and prophesy about him and call him Lord. And he truly would be proved to be the Lord. And if she felt good calling him Lord before he was even born, before she knew about his resurrection, uh, then you, sitting on this side of the gospel story, knowing the whole story, the whole picture, knowing all that Jesus did and taught, that you could feel good about calling him your Lord too. So she was, had this astounding prophecy. And the next one is this. There was an astounding praise of Jesus the Lord. Uh, there's this praise happening everywhere. Elizabeth is worshiping, and, and it's astounding the way Elizabeth worships and praises this unborn baby. I kind of mentioned that already. I mean, that just blows my mind that she calls him Lord. She's astounded in the presence of Jesus. It leads her to cry out and to worship and to praise and, and this baby is the Lord and she worships him right there and then. And I picture Mary being worshipful too. I mean, Mary, she has already shown in last week's message that she had this worshipful mindset and attitude that she knows that this one who's going to be born is Jesus, meaning that he will save his people from their sins and that, that he would be the Lord himself. And, and she has worshiped by saying, may everything that you have said happen to me. And then we have what I would call the most astounding worship in this story. This is the part of the story that really stands out to me, and I think it's supposed to. It's this, that, oh, I, I'm sorry, I had, uh, I had these up here that Elizabeth worships and Mary worships, and then this, the unborn baby, John the Baptist, the unborn baby, the six-month-old baby in, in Elizabeth's womb leaps and worships while in his mother's womb. In Luke 1, 41, it says, At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. He too was filled with the Spirit, and, and he too was worshiping. And in this moment, these two unborn sons meet. One is John the Baptist. He represents the Old Covenant. He, he represents a transitional time between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And his job was to announce the coming of the kingdom of God with the coming of the King of Kings. And, and here he's already starting his job. He's leaping in Elizabeth before Jesus is even born. And, and the other is Jesus, who represents the New Covenant, a new relationship that God's going to offer to people. And, and John worships Jesus and he begins his ministry while he's six months old in his mother's womb. He has yet to breathe any air, yet to cry out loud. He has yet to see a blue sky, to ever speak to anyone and tell them they need to repent of their sins. He has yet to baptize a single person. And here he worships Jesus and announces Jesus in the womb of his mother. And it's astounding to think that an unborn baby 
worships, especially when we live in a world where unborn babies are are questioned as to whether they have life at all, uh, whether they're alive at all, especially in a world that tends to treat children as a burden rather than a blessing. And, And even people in the church buy into the world's lies about the value of life, about where life begins, about how God creates life and And even people in the church question the values of babies in their mother's womb. Scripture teaches us that children are a blessing from God. And we live in a culture that has forgotten that children, that that life, that that new life is a blessing from God. It says in Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And it's the wicked and evil world we live in that that preaches a message, that, that, that preaches it almost as if it were a moral value you to not value life think about that for a minute we live in a culture today in a world today that treats it as a moral value to devalue the life of an unborn child it's wicked to eliminate children it's wicked to abandon children luke will use the same word for babies here, uh, these babies in the womb that he will later in the book of Acts, in his second book, when he tells us, kind of recaps for us, what Pharaoh did in Egypt. And listen to what Pharaoh did. This king exploited our people and oppressed them. It says he forced parents to abandon their newborn babies so that they would die. And, And it's a wicked and evil culture that abandons their newborn babies. But I want you to notice something that he uses the exact same word that he does here for the unborn baby, uh, baby John, who's six months old and the newly conceived four-day-old, five-day-old baby Jesus is called the same word. In fact, in God's word, in his scriptures, he doesn't make a distinction between a fetus and an unborn baby and a newborn baby and a child or an infant. All of them are the same word in scripture. He uses the same word to describe them. Uh, it's the word brephos. And here in this story, in Luke chapter 1, he uses the word to designate baby John and baby Jesus in the womb. And uh, in Luke chapter 2, he'll use the same word to describe the baby Jesus after he's born and he's wrapped up and, and the baby baby Jesus, the brephos, Jesus, is laid in a manger. And uh, and later in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 16, Jesus, as an adult, would be teaching and preaching, and people would want to bring their kids to him, their little children to him, to have him touch them and teach them. And and it says this, uh, one day some parents brought their little children, their Brephos to Jesus, and then Jesus called for the children and said, Let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. And again, he uses the same word. And and what I want you to hear is that God doesn't see a distinction between the baby who's just conceived and the baby who's born and the baby who grows up to be an infant and a young child. They're all the same to him. He's given them all life. He's given them all names. He knows their story, their purpose, and he knows what he wants to do in them. He, he doesn't, he, he's not looking at the story of how he was, they were conceived or the story of where they're back, where they came from or who their parents were. He's just looking at them and giving them life. And we live in a world that debates where life begins mostly for the convenience of wickedly abandoning those children in the name of the worship of self. It's a debate and a policy born out of pure selfishness and idolatry. But how intelligent is a world filled with seemingly smart people who debate where life begins when they also preach a message almost as if it's a moral message today about confusion as to whether or not a baby is born with gender. I mean, 
they, they preach it so morally and spiritually as false prophets. They preach it to us and teach it to us and tell us we have to buy into it. If you don't, if you speak out against it, you're canceled, you lose your job, you're suspended from school, and, and, and all kinds of things happen just because you won't look at an obvious, natural truth of the world and just say, yeah, God's word is right. Babies are born, male or female. God created them, male and female. It's hard to take a world seriously. It's hard to listen to their moral truths when they're so morally bankrupt and corrupt that they can't tell what's up from what's down. They can't tell what's e e easy and obvious to see naturally, and they exchange it for an unnatural truth. It's hard to say, well, let's go ahead and follow that morality. And yet a lot of the church does. A lot of Christians do. But God's word declares by the Holy Spirit the truth that he created them male and female. And God's word declares that he values life, that he's the creator and the author of life. He declares that he knits babies together in the womb, that at conception and an unborn baby, a newborn baby, an infant or a child are all his creation. He knows their names and their stories. And, and here we see that unborn babies are even able to worship. That unborn babies are alive. God's the author of life. We don't decide when life begins regardless of policies we make. God does. The unborn baby is already bearing the image of God, already has the right to claim life and purpose. The baby in the womb, well, it's, it's a baby just like the baby outside the womb. The baby in the womb is known by God, chosen by God, given a special purpose by God already. And I want to encourage you, I, I hope the church, I hope Vernonia Church will be a place who stops listening to the moralizing and the spiritual lessons of a corrupt and wicked backwards world of false prophets who don't speak for God. I hope that we will come to a place where we listen to God and we learn to love God and love the people that God creates. I hope the church will be a place where people believe in marriage and, and people believe that saving sex for marriage is, well, it's, it's an important thing to do. I hope that the church is a place that, well, that children will be considered a blessing, not a curse, regardless of how or where or when or under what circumstance that child was conceived in. And, and I pray that God will receive into his arms all of those babies who've been abandoned by our culture and, and, and our country. Some say it's been since the 70s, over 50 million and I just pray that every one of those babies will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven for their innocence and not having a chance. And I also hope that the church will be a place where people who have taken the life of an unborn child can find grace and forgiveness. Th that you can find the love that Jesus has for you, this Lord that you can find at the cross your sins paid for, that there's now no longer condemnation for you either as you have turned to Jesus for forgiveness, and that through Jesus, who even at conception was worshipped as the Lord, that you will find forgiveness of your sins and you will find healing from a broken moment in your story. There's a lot of astonishing worship happening here. Elizabeth gives praise and worships, and Mary gives praise and worships, and the unborn John praises and worships, and all of them praise and worship the unborn, newly conceived 
life in Mary, who is Jesus the Lord. And there's praise and worship happening all over here. And, and that leads me to the last thought in this point. And it's this, that that leads us to worship too. We worship. The only response to this astounding presence of Jesus is to worship. And I hope you find yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit is helping renew a desire for worship in you. He's helping renew a desire to do the basics that you started with, to get into his word, to, to praise him and to sing to him and to worship him, to find yourself in a place of praise where you can worship him as your personal Lord and Savior. And that leads me to the very last thought and the last point, and it's this, that we see in this story an astounding personal word of the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of personal things that happen here in this story. Mary is getting together personally with her relative for a personal visit. And, and God, through Elizabeth, has a personal message for Mary and a personal declaration about this unborn baby she has. And, and here's the thing. Throughout the scripture, God will have a message that goes out to everyone. But God has a personal message for you, too. It doesn't change depending on who you are, but it is a personal message. It's a message that he wants to get right down into your heart and into your life. It's a message from God to you. And he brings it the same way he brought it to Mary here. He speaks through the person of the Holy Spirit through his scriptures. He speaks and, and he wants to speak a word of blessing. He speaks, and, and when we believe what he says, when we believe in the gospel and the message of Jesus that the Spirit is sharing with us, we praise him, and God will move, and he will want us to move in response to him, and God shows us his truth, and we find joy in him for it. And we realize that in this story, the Lord Jesus has this incredible personal word for you and for me. A word that says, this Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord who's come to save you from your sins. He's the Lord, the Lord of all, your personal Lord. That's spiritual truth that you can hold on to. That's spiritual truth that, that won't change with the times. That's spiritual truth that will bust through the spiritually false messages and preaching of our culture and of our times. The spiritual truth that Jesus is Lord. He defines truth. He is truth. And his truth will last into eternity. And he wants you to believe in his truth. The truth that he gave his life to forgive you for your sins. The truth that he would be born in miraculous circumstances, that he would grow up and teach and do miraculous things, and that he would raise from the dead. And he would promise you, if you believe in him, he would raise you too. If you would believe in him as your Lord, he will lead you as your Lord into the Lord's place for eternity. In Luke 1, 45, he says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do as he said. And I just want to share that personal message with you too. You are blessed because you believed the Lord would do as he said. Do you believe the Lord will do as he said he would do for you? Do you believe that he can forgive you? Do you believe that he wants to be present with this astounding presence in your life, that he wants to be with you and in you through the Holy Spirit in your life? God wants to bless you. He is blessing you. He's given you everything you have. Even life itself, it's his gift from him to you. He's blessed you with a savior. He's blessed you with a message declared by Gabriel, a message that comes by way of Mary and Elizabeth. And he's blessed you by the announcement here of the unborn John the Baptist. And he's blessed you by the Holy Spirit 
to show you the Lord. He wants you to know him as your Lord so he can bless you with life, so that he can bless you by taking your death on your behalf at the cross. He wants to forgive you and transform you and make you into a new creation. He's blessed you with his resurrection so that you can have an eternal hope. He wants to bless you with his Holy Spirit so that you can know his power in your life, his guidance, his comfort in your life. And anytime you're struggling in worship is a time to remember who God is and what he's doing for you. And it's a time to invite the Holy Spirit to help lead you to worship him, the Lord Jesus. Why do we call him Lord? We call him Lord because the Holy Spirit declares it. Because his astounding presence draws us to him. Because he truly is the Lord of all. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. And let's go to this Jesus who is Lord in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are Lord of all. We thank you that we can know you as our Lord. And we thank you that you moved in this story to reveal yourself as Lord. God, we as a people have gotten so far away from your word that we can hardly recognize truth. Will you help us by your spirit as your people to see the truth of God, to see the truth of your scriptures, the truth of your word, to unashamedly share them with our community, with the people in our life. Not so that we can browbeat anybody, but so that we can declare the truth of God that is true, that is upright, that does lead to the truth. God, I pray that you will help us to know confidently Jesus as our Lord, that we would believe and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining me in that teaching today. Um, I enjoy going through these teachings with you. Uh, I'm enjoying going through this, uh, this series that we've been going through. And I want to really quick invite you. Um, I know many of you have been giving to Vernonia Church to help support these online teaching times. And I want to invite you to join us in giving if you'd like to, if you'd like to support these messages as they go out. Every Sunday, I just have a quick message where I encourage you to to help, uh, help us uh, grow this ministry, to help us with the growing of the church and, and reaching out with the message of Christ and these messages. Um, and one of the ways that you can do that is by going online at any time to www.vernonia.church. Or you can text to give. You can text the word give, G-I-V-E, to 503-376-6646. And really quickly, I just want to share with you something we're doing. Every year, about this time of year, we begin what we call our Christmas offering. And this Christmas offering will go from uh, Christmas uh, it will go from after um, <clears throat> after Thanksgiving to Sunday after Thanksgiving all the way to the last Sunday in January. That gives everybody a chance to give that wants to give. And uh, this year, uh, what we're doing is we're raising, we always give, do something different with it. Last year, we gave it away to the fire department here in Vernonia and, uh, to, to buy boots and helmets and all kinds of cool stuff. It was great. We saw God move. And this year, I want to do something. Uh, we're calling it Drop a Digit. So our church has two buildings. We've got an old chapel building and we've got the big building we use for worship services. It's where I do all this recording. I'm up on stage here right now. Uh, and, and years and years and years ago, the church bought this building with a loan. And, and the church uh, started out at about $240,000 for this building. And uh, we, we, we've really started to pound away at the loan and we've worked it down to $102,000. Um, and so uh, what I want to do is I want to drop a digit. And for our Christmas offering this year, we're going to say uh, Merry Christmas to Jesus by giving this special Christmas offering. 
offering. And uh, we're, our goal is we want to raise enough to drop it down to 97000 And uh, along with that, we're going to be giving special gifts to OCEF church planters, to Bob and Sherry Wood, who are the church planters who help uh, plant churches. They, they, they guide OCEF church planters here in Oregon. And uh, we want to give we want to give a portion of our Christmas offering to them. And we also want to give a portion of our Christmas offering this year to bless uh, Boise Bible College. Uh, Boise Bible College is helping raise up the next generation of church leaders and preachers and teachers. And we want to invest in them by giving to Boise Bible College. And so three big things we're doing with, a, with the big push, the big focus on raising money to drop a digit. We want to drop that one at the 102,000 and drop down to 90, 97,000. I do have a miracle goal set that if we can raise enough money, we could go down to 95,000. And then I have what I call our miracle, miracle goal. It's our like miracle, miracle, miracle goal. Maybe there's someone out there who wants to help uh, Vernonia Church be debt-free completely. And maybe there's someone out there that's willing to give in a way that would help us drop our $102,000 loan down to zero. And so uh, just uh, if that's our miracle, miracle, miracle goal. And if that happens, that's awesome. But our main goal is to get down to uh, to 95,000, which by the way, if we can do that together, we'll knock about, uh, I think it was 12, uh, almost 12 months off of our loan and it will save us another uh, $5,000. So just by giving and, and raising that money, we're actually doubling its effect. And if we could get down to or 90, 95,000, it will knock down two years of loan payments and, and really, uh, really just have a, a great effect in, in, in making our money go farther that way. And so I know I spent a long time talking about that, but if you want to give to our special Christmas offering, it's something that we as at Vernonia Church have been doing for years. And uh, we give above and beyond our tithes and regular offerings, and we give a special gift to Jesus to say uh, Merry Christmas to him, a special gift to uh, just to learn to be extravagant givers for a purpose. And so that's what we're doing, and you're welcome to join us. Uh, when you give, you can, you can designate it to that by giving in either our other category or a special offerings category if it hasn't been set up yet it should be up soon where you'll be able to give to a, a category that says it's the Christmas offering and so either way you can give to it and you're welcome to join us in doing that um, I think I've said everything I wanted to say about that today and so uh, I'll be sharing more about how our progress is and what we're what we have going on with that later as we get farther into the season together uh, but let's pray right now for Vernonia Church, for our outreach, for our ministry. Let's pray for the Christmas offering that God will help us raise the money that we're setting out to raise together. Uh, let's pray that he will move and do a great work this year for our Christmas offering. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to pray for Vernonia Church. I pray that you'll continue to work through this place to share the message of the truth of God the message of your scriptures, the message of your word. God, mostly I want to pray that you will use us to help bring new people to saving grace in Jesus Christ, to make decisions to follow you and to follow through that belief they have with obedience. You told us, God, to go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything you taught. And so I pray that Vernonia Church will be a place that does that. I pray that you'll bless this online outreach, this uh, online teaching time. I pray, God, that you will move through it and that you will, you will share the love of Christ through it, that you will share the truth of God through it, that it wouldn't just go out there and, and do nothing, but that it, would, that it would make a difference in the world. I pray, Father, for our Christmas offering. I pray, God, that you will help us to pay down the loan. I pray that you'll help us to raise the money so that we can bless OCEF and Bob and Sherry Wood. God, I pray that you will help us to raise the money to bless Boise Bible College. I pray, God, that you would just 
use this Christmas offering as a chance to honor yourself and glorify yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, I'd like to finish up our online time here together by declaring it's been a great day. And it has. It's been a great day. I've really enjoyed my time with you today. And I just pray God's blessing on you in a special way. So on the count of three, we're going to declare it's been a great day. If you can, join us. And so one, two, three, it's been a great day. I hope you have a great day. And I hope you have a great week. And we'll see you again next week. A picture.